As we come now to meditate on portion of God's holy word, let's come before him in prayer. Father, guide us, we pray, as we turn now to meditate upon your holy word and its teachings. Keep us from error, guide us into the truth, that you may be glorified and we may live holy lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, you may have seen, if you have the order of service sheet, that I've called the sermon I'm going to present this morning, Life is So Unfair. I know that today is also Mother's Day, uh, and very often I would have some message appropriate to Mother's Day. But as Elizabeth has pointed out to me, and she is a person of immense wisdom, um, you must remember that for some people, Mother's Day is a very sad occasion. And I needed to have that pointed out to me because there are things like that that I tend to overlook. So I thought, well, for a number of reasons, today we need to look at this topic. Life is so unfair and what are we going to do about it as Christian people and followers of Jesus Christ? So what I want to do this morning is, first of all, I just want to examine this, uh, how unfair life can be. Then I want to look at two famous examples of unfairness, the story of Naomi, then the story of Israel. And then I want to pull out from that uh, issues that we need to remember as we face unfairness in life. So first of all, let's just uh, tease out a little of the unfairness of life. Many years ago, we, Elizabeth and I knew a man whose father died just a day or two before Christmas. And we knew this man fairly well, and it was a great sadness. Even though his parents were both quite elderly, it still, of course, was a shock, and it was very sad for him. Then the next Sunday, after Christmas, he came along to church and just came up and told me very quietly that his mother had also died after Christmas. So his dad before Christmas, his mother after Christmas. That's pretty unfair, isn't it? To have both parents die in just a few days of each other. That's a hard burden to carry. And I'm sure that you can think of things that have happened to you or to people you know that just seem so unfair. I guess there are those here who are thinking how unfair it is that it looks as though uh, this church, this congregation, uh, is going to dissolve. I was talking to one person, and I can't remember who it was now, who said that he, I think it was he, has been involved in the Presbyterian Reformed Church for 54 years. It must seem unfair that things have gone wobbly. It must seem so unfair. Now, I'm not saying anything very profound when I say that we are not the first people to have unfair things happen to us. Unfair things have happened ever since the time of Adam and Eve. Which brings us to the story of Naomi, or as the book is called, the book of Ruth, uh, even though a lot of it is about Naomi. And you all know the story of Naomi, how she and her husband felt 
that life in Israel was too hard because there was a famine and they went to Moab, which was an adjoining area with a different people, different God and so on. And they thought, we'll go there uh, looking for a better life. And they did. And, of course, they had two sons. And that was good. And they made a reasonable life there. But then Naomi's husband died. And we think, oh, well, that's sad, but eh, not the end of the world because she's got two sons. And those two sons got married to Moabite women, which is not quite as good as is Israelite women, but nonetheless, they're married. So she has two sons, two daughters-in-law. And then the two sons both die. So here is Naomi in what was really a foreign country. She's got two daughters-in-law. That's good. But see, it doesn't seem so unfair to poor Naomi. Then she thinks, well, there's nothing for it but to go back, to go home, to my own town in Israel. I'll go back there. And that must have seemed so unfair because she was returning to her hometown with nothing, no husband, no sons, no grandchildren, no wealth. Seems so unfair. But as the story goes, as you know perfectly well, one of the daughters-in-law, Ruth, she says to her, I'm going to stay with you and I will die where you die. So everything about you, I'm staying with you. And of course, she returns with Naomi to Israel and there, of course, you know the rest of the story. So it's good that Naomi is going back home, but not perfect because they have no security whatsoever. They have no wealth, they have no farm, nothing. Life must have seemed so unfair to Naomi. And then there is Jacob or Israel, as he was known later. He's an old man. He has seen many hard things, many sad things. He has looked after his family, he's made decisions, and he has followed God as much as humanly possible in all things. Now, he has reached the time of life when he should be sitting back in the sunshine, enjoying peace and quiet, and having his coffee and slippers brought to him by one of the servants. But no, a famine enters Israel and he sends his sons down to Egypt, except minus one, of course, as you know. He sends them down to Egypt, or actually minus two, because Joseph's already there. He sends them down to Egypt because they have heard that there is plenty of food available, plenty of grain available in Egypt. So go down to Egypt, take some money with you and buy food buy enough food, load the camels, bring it home, unload the camels, enjoy the food until the rains come, and then we can grow our own food. Done. Life's easy. But his sons, when they go down to Egypt, are right out of their element. They forget who they are. There is this man who interviews them, this big man, this important man, and he speaks through an interpreter because, of course, you can't expect this important man in Egypt to speak their language. 
So he speaks through an interpreter and he questions them. And they, well, they blab to him, don't they? They tell about their father and about their brother and about the family and they tell about another brother they had who was killed. They don't realise that's him sitting in front of them. So the big man that they're talking to, he demands that if they want any more food, when they come back, they've got to bring the youngest son with them or he will keep the other son that he's already got as hostage forever. Now, of course, we know from the story that Joseph was testing his brothers to see if any changes had taken place in them. But when they go back and they report to Israel, this is what the big man said to us, he is distraught. And he says, that's it, you are never ever taking Benjamin, I will not lose Benjamin. But of course the famine continues, things get tougher and tougher and the brothers start to put pressure on their father Israel. Look, we need to go to Egypt. We need more food, otherwise we're going to die of starvation. And Judah thinks, well, I'll try to make the best of the situation and offers to go guarantor for the youngest son's safety. And he says, look, we'll take him, and if that man betrays us, and he wants to keep Benjamin, I'll go in his place and I'll stay there and be the hostage. And eventually, Israel is so resigned to his fate that he realises, well, it's got to be. There is no alternative. So here is a man in the twilight of his years, twilight of his life, and he has to face this turmoil, this emotional turmoil, life can be so unfair. Now, I said we're also going to look at this story and extract from it lessons for us today. What can we learn from it? There are two things I want to pick out. The first one is that we see that Israel is human. Now, you might say, well, that's perfectly obvious. Well, yes, it is. But it needs to be said because sometimes those who are Christian people and have been in the church for a long time can somehow get the idea that I'm not subject to the, the problems of emotions that other people are. Israel is human and we are human and he is bitter towards his sons. Why did you tell him that you had another brother? Why did you have to do this to me? You and your big mouth, you were so naive Hasn't life taught you anything? Why weren't you cagey? Why weren't you evasive? And he turns on the sons, and especially the oldest one, Judah. And we think, oh, oh, that's terrible. We would never be like that. Yeah? Is that right? Israel's reaction is not helpful, nor is it godly. And I'm not saying it is. But it is human. And when we're hit with something in life that just seems so unfair, you've got to remember that you and I are human. 
I know there are some Christian people who give the impression that they are above such reactions. They never react in those ways to things that seem so unfair. But the truth is that those Christians are more Stoics than Christians. You know, the Greek Stoics, they believed that the best thing in life is to rise above problems and emotions and to live above them and not let them touch you in any way. They were Stoics. We're not Stoics, I trust. We're Christians. And we are human. When hard things happen to us, unfair things happen to us, they hurt, they affect us. And we need to say, well, of course they do, because I'm human. I'm human. We are human. We feel things. And it is human of Israel to lash out at his sons. It's human of us when unfair things happen to be a touch irrational, to lash out, to say silly things, to make ridiculous judgments. I'm not saying that it's godly. I'm not saying that it's good. But I am saying it's human. So if you are passing through a time like that, a time when something so unfair has happened to you, then be easy on yourself. You know you may have just lashed out at someone that you love and you hate yourself for doing it, but remember it will pass just as Israel's lashing out at his sons, that too passed and life moved on. So remember that. And of course, if you are on the receiving end, which sometimes happens, also remember that it will pass. People who have suddenly been overwhelmed with some sad or tragic event in life might well react irrationally. It's part of being human. And the reaction is to pull back, to shun them, to say, well, you stay over there, I'm staying over here. When really what might be needed is to stick with them, keep loving them. They mightn't know it, but they need your love and perseverance at this point more than ever. I'm not saying it's easy to do, because if someone lashes out at you, our, our reaction is to separate ourselves from them. But sometimes what they really need is a friend who will stay there and see them through it. So the first thing we see about Israel is that he was human. And he reacted in a very human way. And we are human. And there are times when we will react in a very human way. You know, if you've been in pain for some, for some reason, for day after day after day, it gets very easy to lash out at someone, someone you love dearly. It gets very easy. That's because we're human. And we need to be aware of that. So that's the first thing that we see. The second thing is that we see Israel's dependence on God. Once everything calms down, we see Israel coming back to God. There's a, an analogy that I read years and years ago, which I keep coming back to. I don't know much about sailing, but I do know that sailboats have ballast in the bottom. 
and they have like a, a fin that sticks down. I don't know if it's called a fin. The sticky down bit at the bottom. And as you're sailing and the wind comes and maybe a gust of wind that's too strong and the sail goes over like this and the boat goes over and you're thinking any minute now it's going to go completely under the water. But then the ballast starts to have its effect and the sail comes up again and the boat becomes upright. That's what the ballast is there for. And it's similar to us. Yeah, there are times when things overwhelm us and we feel, I've toppled over, I'm going under. But then the faith that God has planted within us starts to take effect and we start to lift up again, upright. That's God's work. It's God at work within us. So once Israel had settled down and he recognised in his mind the steps that needed to be taken, then he remembered God. And it says there in verse 14, May God Almighty grant you mercy. God Almighty, isn't it interesting that he chose that title for God? An acknowledgement that God is the Almighty. He is the one who has all strength, all power, and that is who Israel, now that he's come to his senses, is calling upon and praying to God Almighty. So after that first flush of emotion and anger and despair, once that had finished, he returned to his age-old position of dependence on God. And if you go back to the early parts of the story of Israel in Genesis, you will see there where God reveals himself to, to Jacob, as he was known then, and he says, I am God Almighty. I am your God. And here Israel remembers, ah, yes, God Almighty is with me. <coughs> and he turns to him. And he says to his sons, may God Almighty grant you mercy. He remembers the universal dominion of God. God Almighty. In the Hebrew, as you probably know, it is the word El Shaddai. God Almighty. God has dominion over all things. And God is at work within this situation. Israel doesn't know it, but as we know, down the line, it works out for the salvation of the people of Israel and for their preservation until finally... God leads them into the promised land. God is El Shaddai. He has dominion over all things. And this is where, of course, we must always start in prayer. The acknowledgement of God's dominion, his sovereign control of all things. And whenever we start our public worship, the pastor, the minister, will almost always start by acknowledging before the people, before God, that he is God Almighty, he is the one who has all dominion, and it is into his presence that we come. We use the Lord's Prayer, we recited the Lord's Prayer this morning, and that too reminds us, our Father who art in heaven, and from heaven he rules over all things. And he rules according to his perfect and wise will. 
Yes, things may seem to us, this is unfair, this is not right, but God knows what he is doing and he rules according to his perfect will. So this is the first step in any prayer to remember that we pray to God Almighty and this is what Israel does and this is the great thing that we learn from him. And he prays, may God grant you mercy. That's what we always pray. We must always pray that God will grant us mercy, that, God, that mercy might be shown among humans, but ultimately it comes from God and he prays for mercy. Israel realises this and he turns to God for mercy and so must we. Yes, there is a certain amount of mercy that is shown from human to human. Somebody who deserves a penalty in our law courts, the courts might decide to have mercy and make the penalty far less than it should be. The courts have this power to have mercy. But there is only one that has the mercy that can forgive sins and reconcile us to himself and make for us a place in heaven, and that is God Almighty. So we pray for our nation. We pray for mercy. We pray for our church. We pray for our congregations. We pray for our family. We must realise that mercy comes from God. God. Israel prays for mercy, and he prays first to the Almighty God. And then he prays, uh, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. Only now does he ask what is burdening on his heart and what is heavy to his soul. You see, first of all, he, he approaches God, God Almighty, and he prays for mercy. Then he asks that God will send back your other brother. And then lastly, he says, as for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. He accepts the will of God, not just a stoic acceptance, but an active acceptance of the will of God. He acknowledges now that God is free to do as he wills. And sometimes that's a hard thing to acknowledge. God is free to do as he wills. So much of our praying is to persuade God to give us what we want. That's not true prayer. Once upon a time, Christians would often add to any sort of um, letter or poster or advertisement, they would add DV. And as you, I'm sure you are aware, that stands for Deo Volente. If God wills, God being willing. And it's a good thing because it reminds us that what I think is wise and good and perfect is not necessarily what God thinks is wise and good and perfect. And the plans that I have for the future that I think, man, that is a magnificent plan. It is perfect. But God may have other ideas and he may intervene. So we've got to add DV, God willing. Whatever God ordains is right. So we are standing with God, agreeing with God, and if necessary, standing against ourselves, because whatever God ordains is right. Yes, life is often unfair, humanly speaking. 
And there are times when we kick and scream about what's happening with us and we don't like it. We must go to God in prayer. Acknowledge he is almighty God. He has all power. And he has all mercy. And he wants nothing but the best for his people. And we may not see it at the time now, but God is working and he is working out the best for his people. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for the story of Naomi, for the story of Israel. And we thank you, Lord, for what we learn from Israel's reaction. Father, help us to remember that we are human. Help us also to remember that we are followers of God Almighty, a God who is merciful and a God who desires the best for us. Father, hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.